All right. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Nights On, Lights Off podcast. I'm Will from the Game Escape channel, and with me tonight is Jay Shy from Shin Megami Talks. Jay, how you doing tonight? I am doing lovely. Happy to tag team with you. This is a long time coming for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, you were one of the like best commenters on my channel. And then I discovered all the cool stuff that you've got on your channel. It just felt like a kind of a natural connection. It did. In the, in the beginning, it really did. Uh, I was commenting on most of your videos back in... Um, I remember finding your, your YouTube during the pandemic. So it really got me through those tough days. And I was like, one day, me and this guy are going to make videos together. I guarantee it. The podcast is a good way to start. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and then, I don't know, for whatever reason, uh, I, I never actually clicked on your name until maybe six months ago, and mm -hmm. uh, then I saw all the stuff that you did, and you've got some, uh, you know, you've got an incredible collection, you have some awesome videos, so just uh, happy to be working with you. Yeah, same here, same here. I, I always loved looking at your um, Sega Saturn collection, because I always thought about getting into Sega Saturn, and never could afford it you, you you need to take out a loan to own sega saturn stuff nowadays yeah <laughs> i i mean i i did i didn't get into the saturn back in the day but i remember uh it was, i think it was on one of the first videos i did i talked about how i got my japanese saturn it was sent out the morning of that tsunami back in 2011 uh, and okay. so it was like on the package i was like holy crap this just got out <laughs> you know before that <laughs> And then since then, you know, just, just really trying to build the collection. But I, I think we need to tell people like the origin of the name of this podcast, Nights On, Lights Off, because you and I were talking and we were really, you know, night gamers from the 90s. Yeah, I, I, I knew as soon as I saw your collection and I saw the interests you had, I immediately thought to myself, all right, this is a guy who stayed up late at night, crickets are on in the background, and the only thing that illuminates your bedroom is the light from your television screen. You have escaped into the whatever world you're playing. And I just thought to myself, I was like, you know what? That's a good title. Nights on, lights off. And that's, that, that's really how I thought about that. Those are some of the best nostalgic times that a lot of us had. Yeah, and I, I mean, I had, when I was, uh, even before I was a teenager, probably from like 9 to 16, I had this kind of Saturday night ritual, and that was I would watch whatever sports were on television, I would watch Saturday Night Live back in like the early, like Chris Farley era, and mm -hmm. that would end at 1, and then I would just start gaming at 1 until like 2 or 3 in the morning. <laughs> For me, it was it was similar, except instead of sports it was me going to blockbuster and ordering or renting uh what was it final fight guy on super nintendo or uh sonic blast man and taking it home and trying to beat it within that five day period oh man you know what the town i grew up in didn't have a blockbuster so occasionally my parents would take me like 15 20 minutes away to the closest one and that was the biggest treat to see all those games that you could rent. Um, yeah, same here. I, I would always save up my allowance so I can get multiple games to rent and take home. I was never, I was never into watching too much television because I was always playing video games most of my time. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I, like I said, for, for me, it was split. You know, I came from a house that was like really into sports. So, mm-hmm. uh, I grew up with that and it was like, I would do that, but then I didn't have anyone to share the video game interest with. So when everyone went to bed, you know, that was, that was my gaming time. Yep. Same here. Same here. <laughs> so I, I figured we'd, we'd start off, um, we'll kind of just jump right into it with games that we've been playing and some pickups because one thing I know about you is you are always getting the most interesting stuff and you've got an incredible collection, but uh, are there any games that, that you've been playing say within the past, you know, two, three weeks? Yeah, definitely. So, um, and yeah, I, I, I do. I, I buy some weird stuff. I buy some really obscure video games that catch me off guard um lately i've been playing an rpg called um redemption reapers uh it was it's a tactical strategy rpg made by the some of the developers that made fire emblem it's really good a lot of people a lot of people on the internet said it wasn't great but i i just i always like to buy games that everyone hates because i usually find out it's a gem and that game is a gem for sure um, the second game that I've been playing is actually on the Evercade. I've been playing a game called, uh, what's it called? Uh, Full Void. I've been playing that. It's kind of reminiscent to Another World, I think it's called, on the Super Nintendo. Which one was the, the 3D kind of, uh, the 3D kind of full motion video game that was kind of like, um, Flashback? Is that what it's called? Another World? Another war. I see. I'm not familiar with that one. That was a, a, a full motion. Not full motion. Uh, it, it, it it's it's kind of like that early era of 3D graphics, pixelated graphics, and it's kind of it kind of reminds me of Flashback. I think it's called Another World. I think that's what I think that's what it's called. And it's Full Void is kind of like that. It's a cyberpunk adventure game. Uh, kind of feels like a Prince of Persia esque old school. You know, uh, 2D side-scrolling with traps and you know you have to jump over platforms and stuff like that i've been playing those two games so far i have so many games that i can't even play all of them (laughs) yeah i mean i'm the same way like i i have games that uh and we'll talk about this a little later on but games that i buy because they interest me and then games that i'm actually going to jump into and so for me I mean, I'll start with the the first of those two categories, and I, I wanted to pick up the Bot and Kaidos remaster on the mm, Switch, yeah. and then also the Final Fantasy Pixel Perfect remaster, because uh, I got actually got both of them from PlayAsia, and I think the Final Fantasy one is slowly becoming very rare, um, because for whatever reason on eBay here, it's about 90, 100 bucks. Oh, and yeah, it's... They were still selling it for retail over at PlayAsia, which was 80 which is a little expensive for me, but I was like, you know what? This is probably something that I'll regret not buying, even though I've played all of these games in various remastered formats over the years. And I missed Botan Kaidos back in the day on the GameCube, so I actually do want to open that and play it, um, but I know I'm not going to have time. Yeah, let me know how that goes, because I remember growing up, I used to always see that game on store shelves on like, uh, what was it, GameStop or EB all the time, and I just never bought it for some reason. And now that I'm I'm so into RPGs, 
now I don't have the time to play them. <laughs> so and, let me know how that goes. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the the difficulties of loving the RPG genre is that they they are such a time sink. And, you know, at a time in and I think both of our lives where we don't have endless amounts of free time. So <laughs> I've got you know I've got a stack of them, and I'm like, one day. But uh, the game, the games, <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to happen one day. But uh, the games I've been playing, um, the Mario Wonder game for the Switch, Ooh. and I'm one of those people who will pick up every Mario game eventually, just because it has those nostalgic associations with my childhood. So I just kind of figure this was another like Wii U, whatever that was called. Mario, New Super Mario Brothers Deluxe. Yeah. And th those games were okay. You know, they served their purpose. But I was absolutely blown away by Mario Wonder. And a lot of people online were saying it is the, the best 2D Mario game since Super Mario World. And, in fact, it was kind of like the true sequel to that game, or it has that feel to it. And I thought that was a little hyperbolic. I just thought it was you know, people online just talking up the game or doing some uh, influencing on behalf of Nintendo. But uh, I was I was wrong with that assessment. This is really really true, and it had the the sense to me of it was as if you went back in time to the people who designed Super Mario World and gave them this super advanced technology and told them, hey, let your imaginations run wild. And that's what this game is. It's Super Mario World inspired levels and the wonder is, you know, you get these seeds and the level transforms and it gives you a, a challenging or amusing gameplay mechanic that completely changes how you'll play the level. Um... There's so many of them at this point. Uh, I'm just trying to think of, of things that stand out. So, you know, typically you would jump over fire pits and you'd have the fireballs shooting up at you. Well, you get one of these wonder seeds and now a dragon comes out of the fire and you ride it through the level trying to dodge all the different uh, projectiles, things like that. Um, you know, character characters that sounds awesome yeah i mean sort of growing to massive size and smashing through the level as you're trying to escape them and then of course you know it has that all the classic elements that you would expect from super mario world plus other sorts of challenging levels where uh, you know there's obstacles there's climbing there's searching out a relatively small level for different power-ups um it's just incredible i'm i'm kind of blown away by it i actually thought about buying a copy of wonder and um it was the it was the first time in a long time where i saw a super mario a commercial for a super mario game and i was actually intrigued and wonder was absolutely one of them i haven't picked it up yet but i'm definitely picking that up it's 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 been on my list for a little bit and I remember seeing the trailer too, and I think I was the only one that actually noticed it when I saw it on the trailer. It was, it was like, I, I, it reminds me of Rayman Origins when I saw it in terms of motion, fluidity, and creativity that it was showcasing on its, you know, trailer. 
And I, I, I've never been more intrigued by a platformer in this day and age until I saw um, Wander. And I love Rayman Origins because I bought that game three times on three different consoles. So I'm I'm definitely picking up uh, Super Mario Wonder as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know you you may find that like if if you're like a super serious Mario player from back in the day, it might come across as like a little bit easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, at this point in my life, I don't have a problem with that. You know, I always say life yeah. is frustrating enough. Why should yeah, you be same. frustrated by video games? <laughs> yeah. So a thousand percent agree. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was, one of the things that I, I was thinking about is like, what is the difference between this and say something like, and I'm just going to call out like streets of rage Four. You know, Streets of Rage 4 was a game that was supposed to be a continuation of that series, yet I found it to be different enough that it wasn't, it didn't give me that joy that I had playing like Streets of Rage 2 back in the day, whereas I think Wonder, it it, it feels like it is just a true sequel. It's not riffing on anything. It's not, you know, taking something as an inspiration and then doing something different with it. It's just that game but made better and i was wondering if if like have have you had that experience with games that you've played where it just feels like it's could be 20 30 years but it's just the next logical improvement the next logical step yeah um definitely i i, I can agree to some extent um I'll, i do love streets of rage 4 um i love that game to a degree to the of to the point that I've purchased that game on three different consoles as well. I've even bought the anniversary edition just so I can play it 45 more times to unlock everyone all over again. I I do love that game, but I do agree. There is something about Future Rage 4, when I played it and I beat it, it didn't give me the same satisfaction that I had when I played Streets of Rage 1 and 2. I th- it might be something with uh, the terms of like how long it took, and we've kind of exhausted all you know joy on the first two games. But the thing is, is that when you go back and you play one and two, that joy is still there, which is very strange. But when you play four, it's not the same, and it might be because of age, you know. Because I mean, we're both older now, <laughs> so. Maybe it's because, you know, when we now that we're playing something, we kind of feel like ah, we've been here, done that. You know, it's not nostalgic for us. It does feel like just the next step. Um, It doesn't feel like something groundbreaking, you know? Yeah. And and to be clear, I mean, I like Streets of Rage 4 and I played it and I was like, oh, yeah, this is a cool take on Streets of Rage. Um, I would have gone with a different art style, but it's a very good game. But I feel like Wonder is, you know, just something different. And the only other game that I could think of that gave me that feeling was uh, the Sea of Stars. And we had kind of, we were talking about that on on the Discord. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where it it, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to think about what made 16-bit RPGs great and then riff on that. It's like, no, I'm going to make a 16-bit SNES style RPG and just go crazy with it with today's yep. technology. 
Yeah, I, I, I see, I've never played Sea of Stars, but I do plan on getting it. That's another one, because I've, I've heard nothing but great things. All my friends talk about it, and when I saw it for myself, I did see... It, it's one of those RPGs that it's, it's doing something that RPGs did back then, but it's, like you said, it's going crazy. It's 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 it, it's an RPG that can also stand on its own in this day and age. There's not a lot of games nowadays that can do that. A lot of games copy other games that we play, but that one looks like it's it's, it's doing something that's reminiscent, but it's it's doing something that stands out as well. Yeah, like I I feel like with both these games, if if you had given them to a I don't know fifteen year old me and said, hey this is the next, this is the future, you know, I, it, it would have seemed completely seamless, but also incredible. Um, so I really feel like, you know, Mario wonder. And I, I want to, you know, I want to find more of those games, uh, as, as time goes on, but, uh, it's, 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 it's getting difficult to find those games nowadays. You have to do a lot of digging. Yeah. A lot of digging. Uh, and, and I feel like you're, uh, the, the perfect person to talk to about that because like you said, you, you go, you find the obscure games, you find the ones that people write off or people don't know about. And, you know, there's some gems in there. You actually yeah. told me about, um, what was that? Is it called gun vein? Is oh, it... gun vein, the, the shmup by, uh, NG devs. Yes. Yeah. You gave me the heads up when they were doing the physical release of that, and I, I was uh, traveling, so of course I, I didn't. I, I just missed it, and I didn't get a chance to order it. But I got it on Steam, and mm. holy crap, that is a great game. <laughs> yeah, NG Dev Team is is remarkable. The the they you can tell that they have uh, graphical limitations and what they can do, but man, they really know how to push a game to its limits when they when they're done. They're great. I haven't played Gunvein as of yet because I'm waiting on the physical, but I've seen videos and my God, it looks great. How is it? Uh, I mean, it's, you know, awesome soundtrack. Uh, I felt like I'm not, I, I appreciate shmups. I am not the best shmup player. So uh, I was uh, struggling there to get through, I think the, the third level. So then I just put it on practice mode so I could kind of move through each level and see what it had to offer. Um, but it's, it's, you know, one of those games that I could see myself coming back to, um, I always like, I don't know if you played like Crimson Clover. It was, uh, I love Crimson Clover. Yeah. So it, it felt like a little bit like that, but it had more of a, I don't know, like a brighter, more pixel art aesthetic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I, need to, I can't wait to try that game when it comes out. <laughs> I did. I did get my hands on a pre-order. It was it was gone in minutes. Yeah, I'm jealous about that. I, I said I was out and uh, I got off the plane and turned on my phone and I saw that uh, that message from you. Clicked on the link. It was gone. Oh man, that's unfortunate. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, the the other game I was playing, another kind of surprise for me was uh, this game called RoboCop Rogue City, which uh, just came out this month, beginning of the month. And it just looked like one of those games that I, you know, a shooter that, you know, wasn't quite a triple A game, 
but certainly not an indie game because obviously they could afford this license. And I don't know if, if you saw the RoboCop movies as a kid. I remember watching at least the first one, maybe the second. But I remember, I remember the first two. The first I don't two. remember the third one much. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have like clear memories of the exact story of, of the first or the second. But it felt like, wow, this game really captured the vibe that attracted me to those movies when I was younger. It's, uh, you know, it has actually very good, very convincing voice acting. I don't know if it's the same guy playing RoboCop, uh, but it's a good approximation. And the NPCs sound like people that you would find in an 80s movie. It's, um, it's I don't want to call it like a gallery shooter, but it's very kind of constrained and you could really feel... It, it, they've slowed the game down in a way where you really feel like this lumbering tank guy, you know, in this suit of armor. Um, but the the gore feels very 80s-like. You know, you have a headshot, and it's almost like someone's head is exploding as if it was clay. <laughs> you know, like the Jason movies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just... Uh, it It's... An example, I think, of a type of game that we're missing, like something that would have come out on, I don't know, the PlayStation 2, Xbox era that wasn't going to shock the world, but was just very solid. And uh, in fact, it reminded me, uh, did you ever play the Chronicles of Riddick game on the Xbox? Yes, uh, uh, Escape from Butcher Bay. Yes. I, I did play that. And so what I loved about that game was it was, now I hadn't seen those movies or anything, but it was just, it had this great atmosphere. Um, Every little corridor and NPC interaction, like it really felt like this oppressive, nasty, horrible penal colony. And I think that's what this game does. It creates this post-apocalyptic Detroit. Um, I shouldn't say post-apocalyptic, but 80s dystopian Detroit. Yeah. You know, run down by drugs, dreary, and uh, you know, with some solid gameplay. Yeah, I've I've heard nothing but good things about the RoboCop game. Um, everyone says that it's super authentic to the '80s movies. Um, I haven't tried it out for myself, but I I will say this for sure: I think that the RoboCop game, if you can find it physically, I think that's a game that's probably going to go up in price. Um, in the near future because I don't think RoboCop is as popular as he is today. And it's an, I, it's a licensed IP. So whoever's listening to this, I think that you should grab that. It's, it might end up like the Godzilla game. Oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> See, this, this is, this is what I'm talking about, folks. You, you, you gotta listen to, to Jay here because he's going to give you these tips. Now I'm, I'm like, Oh, we're you know recording. I should go on to Amazon and get a copy right now. <laughs> I I I'm actually on Amazon myself. I'm like, you know what? I should probably take my own advice. <laughs> yeah, because I I got it on uh, Steam just because uh, I had some some time off, uh, you know, coming up, and I was like, ah, oh, I just I want to play this. I'm not going to wait. And uh, yeah, all right. So I gotta gotta get onto Amazon. Yeah, everyone says that it's a it's a great game, so I might as well just grab it anyway, so I can play it for myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to sort of let folks you know make it seem like oh this is a, a masterpiece i mean it's a kind of you know 
mindless FPS, but in between the mm-hmm. shooting gallery type uh, levels, you get that atmosphere. And I think you, you play it for the atmosphere and not necessarily for the shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 it does seem like it, it kind of reminds me of that, uh, what was it, that Terminator game that came out recently, Resistance. Um, it, it's authentic enough where you can escape back into that world so people will appreciate it even though the gameplay might not be top-notch or you know triple a the world building around it lets you escape into it so well that you don't care i might be wrong about this but i think the same developers made robocop uh as as made that terminator game oh really let's see uh so reef entertainment made terminator resistance oh could be wrong and let's see who made robocop uh, it's like Nacon or something. Nacon, Nacon, Nacon is the company. Okay, so it it does look good. It looks fantastic. Yeah, the my my only criticism, um, beyond the perhaps somewhat mindless nature of the shooting, is I actually two criticisms. One, uh, a lot of the NPCs will kind of toss these grenades at you. And it's very hard, I think, to dodge them because you move so slowly. And so then you're always going into a corridor. It's like blow up a room, take a lot of damage, get your health, move on to the other room, take damage, kill everyone, rinse, repeat, uh, at Mm -hmm. least on the kind of the normal setting that I was playing, uh, playing at. But then they do have like if you're a completionist you can investigate all of these kind of petty crimes and go on fetch quests and things like that. And he moves so slowly that it's, it's almost painful to <laughs> move around the, the city to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm going to uh, see if I, I have this like modding program. So I'm going to see yeah. if I can crank up the game speed, see what happens. And the interesting thing is, I mean, in some games, when you do that, your character is moving quickly through the world. But in this one, the entire world sped up as you boosted the the character (laughs) speed. So somehow RoboCop's movement is tied to the world in a way that uh, it actually makes that cheat or mod or whatever you want to call it kind of, I mean, yeah, you can move fast, but it also kind of kills the atmosphere. So if you know you're just going to be slogging it out if you want to investigate every crime i'm i'm pretty sure someone on the internet is going to make a mod where it it allows robocop to sprint i'm i'm sure it's going to happen <laughs> yeah i mean he does sprint to a degree in the game and i'm i haven't maxed out like all the the skill tr- the entire skill tree so it's possible to get him moving faster but yeah, so that's the only thing, but it's a minor complaint in an otherwise uh, really interesting game. So I wanted to, uh, to jump to a new story. I figured each week if there's something worth talking about as far as gaming news, we could uh, bring it up. So I came across an article entitled, uh, you know, China's buying up Japanese game studios. This was on the uh, front uh, internet page of the Guardian newspaper uh, earlier this week. And I figured, hey, it's very rare that you get Japanese gaming news front and center on an international 
uh, news site. So just a brief summary, because I did want to get your take on this. Basically, there's a company called NetEase from China going into Japan and buying up Japanese game studios and kind of targeting the top developers from the 80s and 90s who are now kind of in their 60s and 70s and and bringing their teams, uh, I don't want to say bring their teams on board, but basically giving them, you know, investment capital and one of the positives, according to the article, was that they are actually paying their employees better than has been the case in strictly Japanese game companies. So less grind, better pay. Um, so that was a positive. The question that came out of it was how long will uh, the, the Chinese make these investments? You know, what kind of profit are they expecting to turn? And if they don't, if it doesn't work out, if it's not as profitable, you know, will they pull back? And will the next generation who's working under these guys who were popular in the 80s and 90s and who were the big developers, um, you know, will they have a chance to grow in this better environment? But I think more broadly, uh, it's kind of interesting. Like, I think this is a play to a degree like we're seeing with um, and a much more minor financially, but you know Saudi Arabia coming in and and buying up sports properties and trying to you know extract as much profit as possible um, is Japanese gaming one of those things that can exist outside of a Japanese company running it, and can it have that kind of global appeal that investors want? So um, it depends, to be honest with you, because I think that it can be done. It just depends on who the leaders are, right? So, um, China buying up a bunch of Japanese developers isn't. It doesn't sound like a bad idea. It just sounds like they're just trying to dip their toes into a market that they feel that is lucrative. However, <laughs> I think. Because because the world is so information-driven now, everyone feels like they know everything, and everyone feels like they have... I would say everyone has so much information at their fingertips. Um, a lot of people feel like they know um, certain things. So a lot of gamers would probably most likely be afraid that China will... Because one thing that I always hear... Whenever Japanese markets gets um, tampered with from another country is censorship. That's the first thing. Uh, censorship is always usually the first thing that pops up in an argument. Because a lot of gamers that I know that play Japanese video games, that's the one reason why they go there. Is because they're, the censorship isn't so, you know, crazy. Um and from what we know from china is you know so far as like they like to have a lot of control so ultimately from my perspective i don't i think it's just probably them trying to dip their toes into a market and you know they feel like the japanese video game development is lucrative but um <laughs> I, I i think a lot of overseas gamers are probably going to be uh, biting their bottom lips, you know, scared <laughs> about certain changes. Yeah. <clears throat> and it was, uh, I mean, it was interesting. Like they didn't give any specific a examples 
as far as you know what kinds of games are they investing in or what are these companies that they've purchased producing but obviously they're not going to buy nintendo uh no i I, so they're not aiming at that kind of you know global player um the, the article did talk about how the you know chinese gaming market is radically different it's basically internet cafe type free-to-play games or uh, mobile games with uh, those free-to-play multiplayer mechanics and then of course in china gaming time is constrained by the government you know, yeah kids can't play for i don't know what it is more than three hours well, or something i think it's like. i think it's uh I think the limit is what two hours a week or something like that. It was something crazy, something like that. It was like something like two hour, an hour to two hours on a school night, and then you get three hours on weekends and national holidays, right? Um, but I guess like when I was thinking about it, so they're not going to buy Nintendo or or Capcom, but just for argument's sake, let's say a foreign investor comes in and buys, I don't know. Falcom or NIS uh, no. or please don't scare me like this. <laughs> well, you know, but what I'm saying, I, I guess my, my point is like, could a huge injection of capital into that level of company mm-hmm. grow the global audience for a Falcom game or an NIS game? Cause to me, I think that audience is pretty locked in. Yeah. Yeah, especially Falcom. Falcom, Falcom, Nipponichi Software, those those kind of companies, they already have their fan base. Um, but if an investor wants to plug more money into a company, they would definitely need to make some changes for more broader appeal. Especially and, and especially a lot of investors, they they want to invest in the world. You know, they they want to grab everybody. Um Falcom right now knows who their customers are. Nipponichi knows who their customers are, and they've been catering to those customers for years. Now, the problem is, is when you run a corporation, um, you can't only cater to those people, unfortunately. If you want to grow a company, you have to somehow broaden those horizons. You have to cater to more than what you're catering to now. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, mean, I think like the the doomsday scenario is, let's say they bought that type of company, and they're like, "Hey, you know what is profitable? Oh, like uh, let's do something like FIFA Ultimate Team, but for JRPGs, or you know, oh, you know, Capcom is selling uh, fighters, you know, in in Street Fighter. We're going to sell other people that you could bring into your party. Like you don't want them to chop it up and monetize it like that. But on the other hand, I I don't see people putting putting down a Madden and picking up uh, Disgaea or something like that. So we'll see what well, happens. You, I mean, the <laughs> today's gaming market has surprised me. <laughs> I will say that for sure. Um, I mean, you could take some of those IPs and turn them into gotcha games. I mean, gotcha games make tons of money. I'm not even going to lie. I've fallen into the trap myself on some occasions. Um, but I, I, I will say um, some people, you know, they they invest in gotcha games and then you have streamers who influence that, you know. So let's 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 cross our fingers and hope that doesn't happen, <laughs> especially not to Falcom, because I love Falcom. Uh, yeah, well, actually, when you were talking about that, I, I 
kind of uh, the game, What I think it's called Genshin Impact, comes to oh, mind. Yeah. And if I recall, that was like a Chinese-developed game that really appealed to the kind of anime Japanese aesthetic and was, was popular with kind of the crowds that we're talking about. I, I don't know if that's a gotcha game. I've never played it. But I think that was very successful. It 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 is very successful. Um, it is a Chinese. Is it Chinese or is it Korean? It's one of those. But it did adopt the gotcha game system. But what it did was, which I thought was actually very creative. Um, it took the fundamentals of what made Breath of the Wild so popular, and it turned into a gotcha game. Oh, so, cool! Yeah, <laughs> that's basically what it is. Interesting. All right. I, I, I haven't had a chance to look at it, but uh, eh, maybe one don't, of these days. Don't look at it. <laughs> it does look appealing, but it'll just it'll sap you. Don't do it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll follow your advice, maybe, because time, <laughs> uh, time is a precious commodity. And <laughs> Yes, it is. So, you know, since we're talking about Japanese games, you know, one of the things that I think we've talked about um for a while is like what drew us to to japanese gaming you know and i think that would be a good kind of thing to to bring up on our inaugural episode because i mean i you know i'm i I see myself as like a dilettante compared to you you have got some like deep roots in japanese gaming and culture and um but you know i want to know like what what brought you down that path back in the day? Um, well, if 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 I can, it it was I would say it was a steady buildup for sure. Um, I remember I I made my YouTube channel back in two thousand. I would say I'm gonna say two thousand ten, maybe two thousand. 11 that was about that time and at the time i was still playing a lot of mainstream games um you know games like um what are you, your battlefields i was playing games like call of duty and all that stuff and i just got to this weird conclusion that i wasn't really having fun with these games um i was mostly playing them because i mean it was in the zeitgeist of just popular triple a titles um that, that that's why i was playing them and i think when things started turning around and I started importing and started paying attention to more, um, I would say, I would call them, I guess the proper word is like zany is probably the kooky games is when I discovered, um, um, what was that game called? Uh, Shadows of the Damned. I came across Shadows of the Damned and I came across Lollipop Chainsaw and all that stuff. And I was like, who is making these games? And it was uh, Suda51. He made uh, No More Heroes, Killer is Dead, and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, it's a Japanese developer. And then I started... I I would say I kind of fell down a weird rabbit hole because of Suda51. So I was like, I wonder if there's like more zany, kooky Japanese games I can buy. That's insane. And I think the next game that I bought that was crazy anime stuff was uh, a game called Onichambara. I bought that. It's like bikini girls hack and slash killing zombies, but they kill zombies in their bikinis. And once I played that, I just kept buying more 
weird things. Like, <laughs> I don't know why. I just fell down this weird rabbit hole of buying weird Japanese games. And years went by, and I, I guess some somewhere along the lines, my channel kind of shifted. And it turned, like, I became, like, this weird Japanese anime video game aficionado that everyone has dubbed me. So that, like, whenever they, they, they like, a lot of uh, subscribers that will comment on my videos, they'll say, oh, my God, I've never heard of this. I need to go buy it. Or, oh, my God, like, what is this weird game that you're playing that has girls, you know, shooting each other with, like, water guns or something like that? I always had I, I i grew into this knack of discovering weird obscure anime games and that actually threw me down more rabbit holes of maybe i should look at the older stuff and i started looking at pc engine and uh pc 88s and all of that stuff and a, a lot of the things that i found um, I, I got, I found from, you know, you telling stories about some of the games that you've played and what you were searching on and I fell down more rabbit holes. I just have this weird habit of falling down rabbit holes. That's that, that was the problem. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the, the best part of being the collector is, is to, to kind of go down those rabbit holes. Um, yeah. and I've been down some deep ones in my life, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's funny. So you brought up the lollipop chainsaw game. Mm -hmm. yeah. I saw that on the shelves forever in kind of right. like whenever that came out, 2011, Two 2012, something like that. 2012. Yeah. It's about that. And I saw, I mean, see it at GameStop and it was, you know, it was cheaper, you know, back in the, in the old used section and I never picked it up and now I'm kind of regretting it. I still don't know what it's about. I mean, is it, was it like a hack and slash or, so, Suda51 yeah, has this weird, he has this weird knack for wanting to create arcade-like games. So, think of a, a hack and slash with an arcade aesthetic. The the more combos you build, the more score you build and all this stuff. But it's a short game. It's it's very fun, though. Uh, very fun I'm looking at it right now. I'm like, I, I can't believe I... dollars Why? <laughs> How much is it? $73. Yeah. Should have bought it when it was 20 bucks. But you know, I'm I'm one of those guys. I hate the GameStop used stickers. Yeah, I'm the same. So that that always I I really would have to be in one of those modes where like I must play this game now to to buy it. And I, and lolly the the lollipop chainsaw never got me in that mood. So now I have to pay seventy three bucks. <laughs> how how did you get into Japanese games? What was your well, rabbit hole? Well, it was interesting. I mean, for me. I sort of, and I'll, I'll take it back to my very earliest days playing video games. I got my Nintendo Entertainment System. I was all about it. You know, I was addicted to it. And I remember my father coming into the room, and he kind of looked at me, and he's like, you know that thing that you love? That's not American. That's that's made in Japan. And <laughs> the Japanese, like, they're the, they're you know, this was like, whatever it was, 89, 90, this was before the Japanese era of stagnation came in, and he's like, you know, they're really leading the world in everything. They're the top country when it comes to technology, and, you know, I'm glad you like your Nintendo because one day you're going to be working for the Japanese. And mm. I was kind of like, oh, cool. So this thing that I love is not American? That's awesome. <laughs> and so I always had this in my mind that this hobby that I had was not an American hobby. And then I got my subscription to EGM Magazine, 
So I'm dating myself, obviously, at this point. But EGM Magazine, much like a lot of the Game Pro and Die Hard game fan, they would have uh, like International Outlook. And so you could always see like, oh, Japan is the place where the games come out first. And then we could always hope to get them. So Japan was like this place of origin for the hobby. And I always thought, wouldn't it be cool if one day I could go there or buy games from Japan. And of course, in those magazines, you would have the section in the back with like the import gaming stores and you could get a system from them before it would release in the States, but it was absolutely super expensive. Yeah. I don't know if you, uh, you know, remember those. And I I remember that very vividly. (laughs) Yeah. So it was like this object of desire, like, Oh my God can I ever import? And then you kind of fast forward, um, at least for me, I would say 20, 2008, uh, around that point, um, I started to, I was, I was actually that in uh, grad school and my, my mind was not in, you know, at least during the week in Japanese culture, Japanese gaming, and I was just kind of getting tired of the the grind. And I said, you know, I I want to focus on something completely different on the weekends. And that's when I got into Mahjong, Japanese Mahjong. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, and I learned how to play that. And I started importing those games and started importing uh, some other games like uh, the, I forget what it was called, the King of Colosseum wrestling games for the PlayStation 2. I, I was a big pro wrestling fan and I knew Japan had the best wrestling games. Virtua uh, was fire pro fire pro Virtua pro wrestling two for the uh, N64, which was like the greatest version of those WCW AccuWare or AccuCorp fighters or wrestlers on the N64. So I, you know, I got into that and then slowly but surely I just started constantly importing and I got into the Saturn. Um, and I, I think what, what does it for me still to this day is Japanese gaming and, and I think culture in general, it's recognizable from like a Western standpoint, but it is incredibly unique still like no one else is doing that type of those types of games or, you know, when you think about anime, like it's very, it's very distinctive. So I always find, of course, my channel's name is Game Escape. I always find it a nice escape from kind of the American or European status quo when it comes to entertainment. Yeah, it's it's the same for me. Um, I think those rabbit holes were metaphorically some sort of escape to get away from the Call of Duties, to get away from the battlefields and all those games. I just I just got tired of seeing the same games over and over and over now you i mean you you did you you did see some gems here and there but there weren't gems like you know like um let's say uh what was another game that i was playing then um uh like a like a creative game that I I can remember from my childhood is Jet Grind Radio. That's like the first thing that pops into my head. I was always a fan of that game growing up. 
And I think as I got older and I was seeing the same games produced, I wanted to go back to that era of creativity. And a lot of Japanese games did that for me, where I would just, like I said, I would buy like weird, zany anime import games because I just needed to get away from the, <laughs> the, 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 the monsoon of just mainstream games that was coming out here. Well, yeah, and you know, it's funny, you know, you're talking about that era, and I always felt like the Call of Duties and the Battlefields, that was kind of like the gray-brown, you know, low-frame-rate shooters of the PS3 and Xbox 360, and at least for me, like, uh, I think it was Call of Duty Modern Warfare 4, it was like that first new game uh, in that era. Like that was cool. I I like that game. I I played the heck out of that. I enjoyed it. I played it online, but I couldn't play that type of game constantly. I didn't always need to be, you know, in a ground invasion of some <laughs> nondescript country. Um, so yeah, I, I could totally see where you're coming from because I was getting bored with that stuff as well. Yeah, um, n- n- like there were to be completely honest now there were some outliers that were really really good like uh at that time i remember one game that you can say was oh it's just a first person shooter exactly like call of duty but there was some there was a joy into this game which was far cry 3 i did find it fun you know jumping off of cliffs landing in safely into like a river of water and you know that that stuff was cool it always felt like a build your own adventure kind of thing um I, I, I did enjoy games like that or games like Prototype, which was kind of like, you know, running up buildings and such. But I, I, I don't know what it was that just I just kind of got tired. <laughs> and I think the, the great thing about uh, Japanese gaming is, you know, if you add at least we'll talk about it today, if you add in the Switch library, the PS4 library, and then you kind of look at stuff like the PC Engine, the Sega Saturn, you you will never run out of new experiences. So if you're out there and you're 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 tired of your Maddens and FIFAs and stuff like that, you know, pick pick a rabbit hole and you'll never come out of it. Very very true. Uh, except some some of those rabbit holes can be very expensive. <laughs> yeah, so beware. Yeah, I mean that's the, one of the things you know we had uh, we were kind of talking on Discord. My wife uh, went to Japan for her work, and she came back with just a stack of games and kind of different, uh, you know, some anime stuff, some video game books, uh, Sega Saturn games, and I saw the prices she paid like they were dirt cheap. You know, if you're over there <laughs> and then when you start importing this stuff, I hate to think of uh, the the margin, the profit margin and a lot of the stuff that I've purchased over the years. Kind of scary. Well, there, there, there is a trick to importing. One day I will teach you the ways. <laughs> OK. Well, see this again. We, we, we got to record an episode on that or maybe not because we don't want to give away our sources. <laughs> but uh you know i know i know people use like the proxy services and stuff like that but uh yeah i i think what i need to do is get over there have have you been to japan i think you have um i haven't gone to japan oh, i okay. have i have 
two friends who live there. One is a tra a video game translator, and another one is a teacher. Um, a lot of the times, whenever I need to get something, a lot of times I ask them, um, help me out. But I, I do need to get to Japan because I, I'm always making deals there. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to get there my, myself, you know, maybe this coming spring or summer, I'm just going to see if I can work it out, sort of tag along with my wife and then, uh, the hotel's taken care of. And I just have to worry about the airfare. So we'll see. It's a it's a long long trip. Long trip. Fingers crossed, man. Yeah, um, I'm one of these people. Like I'm on the taller side, so flying anywhere past three or four hours is physical wow. torture these days. <laughs> torture to the knees. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm the same. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I've, I I've been lucky, like. Recently, you know, flying, there might not be a person next to me. Like, I've, I've had that, so I can stretch out a little bit. But, uh, you know, I've been on some flights to Europe where, you know, I'm, like, middle row. I'm jammed in. You can't get up. It's, you know, eight or nine hours, and your your legs are numb coming off that plane. Yeah, no, I, I know that. I know that feeling all too well. <laughs> all too well. <laughs> So, uh, you know, we kind of uh, alluded to this uh, throughout the episode. Mm -hmm. we, we both have pretty large collections. I, I think I was personally, like, blown away when uh, maybe about a month or two ago you were streaming and you were showing your Switch collection, which may oh be the God. most impressive Switch collection uh, in whatever region of the country you were in because I can't imagine somebody having more. Like, I, it was shocking how big that collection was. And that was just a sliver of the, your game room. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I was thinking like when, you know, uh, when you get into your, uh, your thirties and forties, you've been collecting for a while, you know, how do you manage that kind of collection and, and, you know, what's your collecting end game? So let's see. So, at first, I didn't have an end game. My end game was collect, play, finish, and then just throw it on a shelf. Um, I I wasn't really thinking about the end until I got married and had my first kid. <laughs> That's when I started thinking about it. Um, it, it it's weird because I I used to buy very frequently. I used to buy video games every month i would get a, sh a shipment from japan um mostly because i don't I, I a lot of people like my collection because there's not a lot of things in it that you hear or see about most of the time because i import so much and now that we have now that it's region free you don't have to worry about translation issues or anything like that because the games automatically translate to english now which is a blessing Really? Um, yeah, some some of them do that. Like if you uh, if you buy the Asia release of a game and you put it into your Switch, it'll translate to English. Oh, okay. Uh, so the Switch is actually doing the translation for you, or it's just part well, of the I game. Think the game is, I think the game is translated, but okay. uh, it depends on what you, uh, the cartridge is reading from your Switch. That's how I think it works. Now, don't quote me on that, um, but. Uh, in the beginning, 
I was just buying and I was collecting and I was playing and I was finishing. Now, I think we spoke about this earlier is nowadays it feels like we're collecting for retirement. Um, we're collecting so that we can have something to play when we're done uh, working because work takes up so much of our time. Um, nowadays, whenever I do play, I usually play something that's really quick because I don't have the time to play on my RPGs and and all of that. And I, I'll play something old school, something on my Super Nintendo, or maybe a quick shmup. I'll do a couple of runs here and there. Um, now, <laughs> the way I have to keep it all together is a whole nother story. Because um, eventually you start running out of space. Um, luckily... Um, I didn't run out of too much space, so I still had a little bit of room here and there, and I think, I don't know if you saw the video, but I have shelves on my wall that I mounted, and I placed games on there, kind of like a video store, and I, that kind of freed up some of my space there, uh, here and there, but, uh, yeah, uh, my end goal as of now is I don't buy as much now, um, I, I only buy what I plan to play that then and there. Like the Super Mario game, I know I can probably get through that in probably like a week. But I don't purchase RPGs anymore. Um, I think the only RPG I'll probably purchase is from Falcom, which is an East game. That's like the only thing I'll put all my time and effort into. Um, but those days of me playing Disgaea games are over. Like those are done. <laughs> I can't play a 90 plus hour RPG anymore. Um, I'm, I'm in retirement mode now. Now I, I, I only keep games to the side for when I'm ready to play them for when I retire. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the, or like you said, that was always my thing. It's like, I, you get to a point and you pick something up and you know that I'm not really going to play this now, but you hope for a day when it is possible. And Sometimes that day is not necessarily retirement. Like I, I remember about a year ago or something, two years ago, there was like a snowy weekend. We were kind of like snowed in and had nowhere to go. So pulled pulled a, a game off the shelf that was in shrink wrap for three or four years. And it's like, <laughs> oh, you know, this is fun. Like you're buying, you know your tastes and you're buying for that future version of yourself that will have the time to play mm -hmm. the game. So uh, I've been doing that a lot now. I've been I, I'm going to say this like it's a big discovery. I'm I'm always late to the game on everything. But someone told me about the website Woot, W O O T, and look I I guess it's owned by Amazon. But you know they'll kind of give you like oh you know we've got these uh, super deals and so you can pick up a visual novel or a JRPG for. 10 bucks, 15 bucks, you know, new sealed. Cool. And it's a lot of the times it's stuff that I, I haven't heard of, but it looks interesting. Like there was this one, uh, golf RPG, uh, on, on the switch. And I was like, Oh, okay. I could see myself getting into that at some point, 10 bucks, you know, why, oh, wow. why not, okay. why not order it? So, um, if it's, I, I've always had this rule. I think I talked about this in a video where if it's under twenty dollars, I will give it a shot. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, how do I manage it? I think shelving is absolutely important. Uh, 
as you said, if you can build shelving, <laughs> you can really maximize your space. Um, I've always thought to myself, you know, at some point, I would love to at least sell off games that have become super valuable and use that money for some other purpose. But I don't really have any games that are super, super valuable, like, you know, thousands of no. dollars. I think that's a lie. I think I saw a Dodon Patchy somewhere in your collection. That's pretty pricey. Dodon Patchy? I have it, uh, I think, for the Xbox 360. Yeah, that one's pretty hot. Is it uh, Sai Diojo? I think so, yeah. If I it's Sai Diojo, that's a, I think that's a $400 game. Really? Yes. <laughs> I have that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? So on my way there, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you're getting you're getting there. <laughs> getting there, you know, can buy a uh, a boat or something. No, that's <laughs> horrible investment buying a boat. Um, pain in the neck to, to actually get it on the water. But, uh, yeah, um, so that's kind of the, like, I, I think – there's this time between like, okay, you're retired and now you're going to play all these games and then being like, Hey, maybe now's the time to just sell it off and go on some lavish trip or something like that. But, you know, uh, one of the things I have retired from RPGs, uh, as far as buying them to play like right now in the moment, but I have found that, um, I, I think it was last Black Friday. I got this PC program, this the modding program I talked about called We Mod. And if you have some like RPGs in your in your uh, Steam library, and they're connected to this, like they have mods for certain games, I can play through some RPGs with uh, tweaking some of the parameters, which I know is cheating. But if you like RPGs and you just want that RPG experience, and you want to progress without insane grinding, mm -hmm. it's a way to do it. Um, so when I want the RPG fi the, the JRPG fix, I will sometimes, and it depends on the game, you play it for a while, you see what the in-game economy is, you see what the battle system is, and then you can find something to tweak that will allow you to progress a little bit further, whether it's, uh, you know damage multipliers, experience multipliers, encounter rates, things like that. Um, a lot of people will see me as a fraud for doing that, but it's like when you have limited time and you want that yeah. experience, or you want to check out what this game was that you bought for 99 cents back in the Steam sale of 2012, it can be useful. Yeah, I would definitely utilize that for sure. That almost reminds me of that... Um... That option that, uh, what was that game on the 3DS had? Oh, Bravely uh, Default. Bravely Default. Thank you. Uh, it reminds me of that. Yeah. And I, I think, like, I don't know why more games don't do that, you know, because not every one of your consumers is a 15 year old boy with tons of disposable time. And, right. And I think there's a lot of value to just exploring a game world and I, th I find it to be relaxing so if i can you know tweak the game in such a way that okay i've got an hour and a half tonight i just want to unwind with an rpg game should should give you that ability 
I agree, um, for sure. Um, I even said this in one of my old videos. I said that um, a lot of companies nowadays are competing for your time. Um, that's what they're doing. So <laughs> a lot of us don't have that time anymore. So, yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, in fact, uh, Mario Wonder has done this. Um, when you play it, like you can play as a couple of the Yoshis and some other character that I wasn't familiar with, like a rabbit character, I think Nabbit or something. And if you play as those characters, uh, you don't take any damage, but you also can't utilize the power-ups, which in some cases you need to kind of like move through the levels. But if you're having a particularly like difficult, especially like the super difficult stages, the four-star difficulty stages, you can switch to that, move past whatever obstacle, and then go back to the regular characters. Oh, okay. And I figure That's like... Helpful. You know, not only for the time-constrained adult, but like as a kid, you know, if you're struggling with a level, you can still move through the game and see the whole game that your parents bought you, which I think is nice. Yeah, I like that. So, uh, we then talked about, hey, like, we're always importing, we're, we've always got some interesting stuff, so we wanted to do this segment called It Came From Japan. Um, interesting things we've imported. Um, I'll, I'll talk about one that's, you know, kind of a oddball, but pretty standard for me. And that is, uh, super real Mahjong love compilation on the switch. Um, super real Mahjong, uh, was a game. I mean, it probably started on the Japanese computers. It was big on the... PC Engine, big on the Sega Saturn. It's basically a strip Mahjong game. and um, But me being uh, an oddball, I'm not necessarily into the stripping element, but I like the challenge of the actual Mahjong. I've talked about these games in my Mahjong series. It's like there are, when you play Mahjong, like there are these dream hands that come together like once, twice, three times in a lifetime if you play it, you know, actually. And right. in, in these games, like, you can kind of see the patterns of, oh my God, I am I can build that hand, and the computer's very difficult, so you need to make the right decisions, put your hand together, and, you know, of course these women, when they're not stripping, they're taunting you for losing, so there's that kind of irritated... <laughs> like challenge, like I'm going to beat this lady. Um, it has great, like catchy, I think all these Mahjong games, very catchy, like 90s Japanese video game music. And to have all the games coming out, I think this came out in 2020. Uh, 2020 on a modern console, I just, uh, I had to go for it. It's certainly not everyone's cup of tea and I would not recommend someone to import this if you have no knowledge of Mahjong. But, I don't know that we're ever going to get a super real Mahjong physical product uh, anytime soon. So uh, I have been having fun with it. Of course, it's it's censored, so you're not going to get the actual cutscenes that were in the arcade games or the old school games. But um, it's a fun game if you like Mahjong. I I do. I I have a friend of mine. We actually play Mahjong on the uh, on the actual table. He bought a whole table and we play mahjong he actually taught it to me so 
right. Fun, fun game. Fun game there. Um, for me, uh, I recently got, um, and I've been playing the hell out of, I recently bought the new port for uh, Dodonpachi Resurrection. Um, it has uh, Dodonpachi from the arcade, but it has like six different versions of the game. It has uh, version 1.0, version 1.5, it has novice version for beginners, and it also has three different versions of Black Label, which is the hardest version of Dodonpachi Resurrection. Um, it is very, very difficult. And there is two different arranged versions of Dodonpachi on Tier 2. One of them is... You get to play with the ship from Dodonpachi uh, Daiojo. Uh, I've been playing this game for the past... Since it's released in Japan under Limited Run's Japan district called Super Deluxe. I decided to buy in. I'm not really... A limited run fan, but this was the way to get my hands on Dota Apache, so I had to pony up the money. So I did, and I'm a huge fan of shmups, as you know. Um, I've been playing this game nonstop. Been practicing this game, uh, short bursts here and there, but every night before I go to bed, I play this game. Um, there's some new configurations to the game, which is pretty cool that I have been enjoying. The, to the utmost degree uh there is different ways to practice bosses this game does everything that i've wanted it to do uh since uh dodon patchy is such a difficult game to master um the fact that they've added all these different elements of recording your own gameplay it's a, a dream i recommend it and it was so cheap it was about it was about 7,800 yen, which roughly rolls around to about $48, maybe 52 but that's minus the shipping. So, Sweet. Yes. And uh, my guess is it's now completely sold out. Uh, <laughs> let, let, let me see. I will, I will double check that for you because where I got it, I actually got it from Amazon JP. So oh, okay. I can, yeah, usually... Um, if you if you slip in between the cracks, you can find yourself a Dodon Patchy, but it's it's very very difficult. I I'm a big fan of Amazon Japan. I'm, I've ordered things from there that have uh, gotten to me faster than a lot of eBay shippers in the next state. <laughs> Same here, man. I I love Amazon Japan. Um, Amazon Japan has when. My f when a friend of mine told me about um, Amazon Japan, uh, I thought it was a myth. I thought he was lying to me, and he was like, "No, no, no! It's it's really here. You can you can get this." And I've been shopping here like nonstop. <laughs> um, Very dangerous. Yeah, yeah, it it is on uh, especially if you're on a budget. Um, if you're on a budget, I do not recommend looking at Jap like amazon jp if you're on a budget because uh conversion rate you have to pay conversion rates and you have to pay shipping costs and if you're very very unlucky you're gonna have to pay custom fees hopefully you're not unlucky that that is interesting because for all the importing i've done i've never had to pay any customs fees you know it's weird i'm neither have i but i've heard rumors that um I guess because the way the economy is going, they've been cracking down on that as of late. But I haven't been hit yet, so I'm gonna 
I'm gonna keep trying my luck and hopefully I don't get hit. Um, I do not see it. I apologize. <laughs> oh well. See, I gotta <laughs> gonna have to uh, see what it's what it's going for on on eBay because I do I do love uh, the Dodon Pachi games, but I bet you that's gonna be one that that'll be a, at about one hundred fifty dollars very soon. I hope not. Um, it's funny though. Um, the other cave shmup that Cave did a couple of years after Dodon Patchy, it's a game called Espagaluda. That one's actually still available. I pre-ordered that a while ago. That one's really, really good. It's it's kind of reminiscent to Mushihami Sama. I don't know if you're familiar. I think you're familiar. Yeah, because I've I've got all of those on the 360. Yeah, uh, Mushihami Sama. I think it's actually made by the same guy who did Mushiyami-sama, because uh, they, they kind of play similar. Um, Espagaluda is still up. It's 9,600 yen. Uh, 9,600 yen is probably around $72, probably 69 That's around there. Now, that's minus shipping fees, so... Well, that. yeah, I mean, I since I have, uh, I have that one, I, I think I'll forego... <laughs> the spending the 70 bucks on that but uh <laughs> the dodon pachi seems like a special one yeah that one is uh yeah i don't i don't see it though unfortunately it looks like it's all gone now when like do you get some sort of update from amazon japan like are you on like some kind of mailing like the latest releases or you're just on there you know searching on a daily basis to be honest with you i i'm on i'm just on here just scouring the internet um I, I don't have a I wish I had a mailing service that way it'll be a lot easier but no I go on websites like uh, Amazon you know JP or I go on uh, sometimes Amiyami gives me sometimes pluses oh wow there's an irim collection coming out which is interesting I know that you're probably be into that I saw that I saw that on uh, was it super rare games one of the uh, you know fomo oh. game distributors. Oh, those guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they had... I mean, it looked great. It was like, you know, this whole box set, five volumes oh, of all wow. the Irem games, and I, uh, I I don't know how much it was. It was a couple hundred bucks at least. But Oh, it's a hundred bucks. Well, if you get it from Japan, <laughs> it's 8,800 yen, so it's $44. Oh, okay. For the, for the collector's edition, too. But remember, there's that $20 shipping, so... Yeah, well, um, one of the games that I'm really looking forward to. I don't know if this has been released yet, but it's uh, the it's like a a Switch compilation of '80s Laserdisc games. Ooh, I, that I, sounds like fun. I forget what it's called. It's like LD Classics. Um, so it has um, what was the like Dragon's Lair, and what was the other one that was. Popular. Oh, um, um, not what? What's the one where the guy drives the car? Yes, and his wife it's, got killed? it's that one. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, I forgot what it's called. There's another one too where you play as a, a ninja girl. I forgot what that one's called too. So I, uh, from what I recall, it's like the two. It's the guy with the car. It's Dragon's Lair, and then it was a third game that I believe only came out in Japan. Road Avenger. That's what it's called. Yeah. So it's all all three of those games. Um, I want to say it's Taito coming out with it, but uh, it's I don't know. It was supposed to have a U.S. release as well, 
Oh, if it's getting a U.S. release, that's that's very good. So I've been keeping my eye out for that one, but I have not heard any news. Yeah, Road, Road Avenger is infamous for its difficulty. Yeah, I game. I only remember playing the Dragon's Lair one a few times as a kid. Like, it wasn't my thing. But at the same time, when I think back to being in the arcade in the 80s and 90s, those games are in my mind. Like, they were always there. At least the, you know, the Dragon's Lair one. Yeah. Uh, um, I've never played, I've never played Dragon's Lair, but I've watched my friends frustrate playing that game, especially when I was young. They, we had the, um, the NES version and that was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was a tough one. And actually I'm, th I'm thinking back to the arcade, like, so they had the Dragon's Lair. Do you remember the, the Sega holographic arcade game? It was no. like it was like a flat table and you would have like a Princess Leia style holographic projection that I would do no. I cannot never, think of I've what never... that what that game was called. That sounds amazing though. <laughs> yeah, it was I don't know what you could do with it. Like it was, you know, people would stand around the table, you know, it was like a two button joystick type game, and for whatever reason I always remember it being near the Dragon's Lair cabinet in the arcade that I went to. But never heard of it. Gonna have to cool. gonna have to look that up and put that in the Discord. So, anyway, I think we we hit all of the topics that uh, we wanted to cover tonight. Any any other thoughts, reflections before we sign off for this evening? Um, no. Uh, well. I will say this, um, for anyone who is interested in getting into, cause I'm pretty sure we're going to have a couple of people who have listened to this video. Um, I, I, I would always get these questions, um, whenever I would do other videos about collecting and what you should look for. Um, look for anything that is out of the ordinary. If you want to collect and be able to find things. Um, because the last thing you want is for a game to sell out and you have to pay crazy prices. Um, just just grab it. We're, we're about the consequences later. <laughs> <laughs> See, you, you, you don't want to be like me. You learn about the Dodonpachi game, you know, a week after it's sold out. <laughs> I thought I thought I put it in the chat for you, man. I thought I put it up there. Next time I'm going to put it up there because I know you're into some shmups here and there. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's great advice. You need to, uh, and, and that's one of the things that you do so well, like you just need to, to be part of the scene, like constantly read about it, find those things, you know, that don't get a lot of attention and buy them, uh, before other people discover them. So. I, I think the, I think the other thing too is, um, and I think this was really hard for me in the beginning when I started collecting is, um, figuring out a way how to come out of your comfort zone. Um, because a lot of the times really good games that you're going to get into later on, you're going to miss out on because you weren't paying too much attention to them. Um, because you were still in your kind of comfort zone of what, uh, everyone else is playing and all that stuff. It, it, it takes some time. Yeah, a perfect example of that, uh, for me anyway, was horror games. 
I never, I wasn't a fan of horror movies. I didn't necessarily like horror games, but there are some gems out there and you know, I've missed out on all of them basically. Oh, okay. Um, I think I missed out on most of them as well, but I think when the, the switch came around, I really came out of my shell when it came to horror games. Um, I recently purchased what was it? The limited edition of uh, the one with the camera, uh, Fatal Frame. I recently picked up that and freaked me out in the beginning. But then, for some reason, as I kept playing, I just got used to it, you know. And um, yeah, you, you just have to come out of that shell. Horror games are tough for me, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I was even thinking of like back in the day when you know I'd see Silent Hill you know, on the yeah. shelves, and I'm like, yeah, do I really want to play that? Nah, not really. And now some of those original Silent Hill games are like pushing two hundred bucks. So Yeah. Um especially number what was it, number two and three? Those those two are they're they're up there. Yeah. And a few years ago I was like, Oh, I'd like to give that a shot and then I looked it up and I'm like, Okay, no thanks. I'll wait for the compilation someday. <laughs> yeah, that happens, said. So that does. I'm never against a good compilation if I can get stuff that I missed out on way back when. So, but anyway, um, I think we'll, uh, we'll call it there. That's, uh, it's been a great, uh, great discussion and, you know, we'll have some show notes, uh, you know, be monitoring the comments section and I think, uh, we'll be back in December. Yeah. I can't wait for the next one. This is good. All right, man. Take care. Same to you, man. All right.